Deontay, let me assure you, you don't know what a deal is. You can barely spell the word deal. That's a four letter word. And man, that's a lot of digits to write down. He knows the deal. What's the deal? Why don't you tell us what the deal is? What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and moreover, happy Independence Day, America. Guys, we got a lot of stuff to recap. We got a busy assortment from news to rumors to actual competitions. MMA's had a great week, and we're going to get into it. Cheeto struck again. I feel like Cheeto just, I feel like he just keeps hitting home runs. Cheeto Vera is doing such a good job with his career that that and that alone is why he and O'Malley need to fight. Like, it's not about resumes or the injury or the previous match or the rankings. I mean, if you're comparing resume, well, this guy's won 14 in a row and this guy's won 13 in a row. This It's about how well they're both doing with their careers. It's how well they're doing with garnering attention. And when they get said attention, making it interesting so that that attention returns. And at any rate, Cheeto is supposed to fight Henry Cejudo in Boston. You'll see 292, that's called. And if you care about the numbers of the shows, or if you've memorized the numbers, you're a dork. But at any rate, it is called 292. And why do I bring that up? I'll tell you why I bring that up. Though Henry's not going to be on it, he was. And the history, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'll come back to Cheeto. The history, from a business standpoint, of the Ultimate Fighting Championship is when you have a feature match. So in this case, 135 pounds and for the belt. When you have a feature, a main event attraction, you will then have a feature attraction, meaning something under the main event, but on the main card. Within the same weight class. And the reason you do that is in case you lose your main event, you have two guys that have trained, are prepared, and had hype around them that you can move up. And we haven't done that in a very long time, but we used to do that. We used to see that more and more often, and we would see where that would be a very effective thing. It was a simple trait, and the UFC did it, and they never spoke about it. And some other organizations didn't pick up on it. I remember organizations, a great one called Affliction. They lost their main event. They went to business. They never reopened. They lost their main event. They didn't follow. They didn't, they didn't pick up that trick to have somebody in the same weight that's there. So now you have two guys to choose from to preserve the match. I just share with you by example. Because what were they going to do with Henry? I, I mean, what would be the Henry? Nobody wants to see Henry versus Cheater. I'm not bagging on the fight. No, we don't need that fight. Take that fight. Leave that fight. Why did they book that fight? And I think they booked it because they were either going to grab Cheeto or they were going to grab Henry and put him back in a championship match. And I think that would have been really fascinating. What if Henry and Aljo would have would have rematched? And moreover, you have Henry and Aljo that both, by the time this fight goes, which is in August, by the time this fight goes, it was three months prior, 90 days prior, they fought each other. So both of them, not only got booked at the time this fight goes, not only got booked, had a training camp, had contracts to the media tour, they will have fought within 90 days. And that's just interesting. You two guys, the winner and the loser, both got rebooked. And meanwhile, Islam Makhlchev doesn't have an opponent. Israel Adesanya is begging for work. Conor McGregor might be part of the sport and John Jones might be fighting at the end of the year. I mean, I'm just sharing for you 
It's a real compliment to those guys. It's a real compliment to Aljo. And you're getting revealed, right? Those numbers always stay private. You're getting revealed that Aljo's numbers trended in a very positive direction. I just want to make that observation for you guys. I'm going to set that down, and I'm going to move right over here to Vera, because Vera was supposed to fight Henry. I never bought it. I, I don't buy Henry's hurt. I don't know if he said he was hurt. I don't buy Henry's sick. I don't know that he said he was sick. I don't know that Henry... I don't know what Henry's reason was. I didn't read it. I don't need to hear. I don't believe it. I never believed Henry was going to fight Cheeto. Not in a 90-day turnaround. I mean, you got to understand all the things against it, right? We will always use history as our greatest trajectory to the future. So Henry Cejudo, who sat for three years, all of a sudden is now only going to sit for three months. I mean, he's going to have one of the quickest turnaround times in the company. He'll even beat Aljo by about 15 minutes. I mean, I'm going to stop you right there. I never thought they were going to fight. I think he won it on the card with DeShlevili. This is my own belief. He won it on the card with DeShlevili. And I think he also had inside information that DeShlevili was going under surgery and wasn't going to show, but it would put him in a backup position and possibly could jump in there Sterling, no matter how unlikely that was. So he took to Twitter and gave it a shot. That's what I think. And I'm not looking to bust somebody's game. I'm sharing with you. There's a lot of things here that are happening. They're happening really fast. So what does Marla... What, what, I don't like calling him that. Cheeto. I like calling him Cheeto. What does Cheeto do? What does Cheeto Bear do? He calls out Peter Yawn. What? What did I just say? What? Nobody's ever called out Peter Yawn. What do you mean he called out Peter Yawn? You lost your mind? Called out Peter Yawn? Called out a guy that just lost? Called out a guy that is clearly the most dangerous guy? If you're looking for a night of pain... Peter Yawn's going to bring you more pain than Cheeto, even if you think Cheeto's going to beat him, even if that's the where you're hedging your bet. Pure pain, he calls out Peter Yawn. That is fascinating to me. When can you ever say that? When have you been fascinated by a call-out? When have you cared about an undercard call-out? When have you seen me sit here and make a video on 35-pounders that aren't even the feature match, and a match that isn't happened, it's suggested to happen because a call-out was done against a guy who just lost. You've never heard of that recipe before. I hope that fight happens. And I appreciate that Cheeto did it. I don't know if Cheeto beats Yon. I don't know, man. Right? It's, it'd be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. I, I, I would imagine. I mean, here would be a different way to ask yourself this. I don't know what your answer would be, but here'd be a way to ask yourself, what's a more difficult fight, Henry Cejudo or Yon? And for those of you that said Cejudo, I don't think you're bullish on that. I don't think you'd bet the house on that. And for those of you that said Yon, I don't think you're bullish. I don't think you'd bet their house. They're very different styles, and they're both a very difficult fight, but for very different reasons. Striker versus grappler. Cheeto doesn't care. Cheeto took the Olympic wrestler and he traded him for the kickboxing champion overnight. That's interesting to me. And, there, I mean, there's things that happen there. Cheeto's not looking for any of them. Cheeto's looking for a fight. That's all he's, there's nothing more than that. But there are byproducts. Let's say that Cheeto gets booked on the card. Let's just say it's against Yon. It won't matter who it's with. It will not matter because if anything happens to the main event, it's now not a matter, I'm going to say Yon for the sake of my story. It's not going to be a matter of does Cheeto or Yon get elevated. This person is out. Cheeto is now the backup fighter. I mean, I'll tell you that guy uh, right now, at a minimum, Cheeto Vera is now the backup fighter 
at 292 in Boston. At a minimum, he may get an opponent. He may have a fight that night. I'm telling you right now, whether it's ever stated or not stated, he's now the backup fighter. He is one moment of good luck in his direction and one moment of a bad luck in another direction for being in a main event for the title. I think that's very interesting. And he only did it by being a competitor. He only did it by being true to himself. He only did it by being the same guy now that he's interesting and he's a top name as he was when he was hungry and trying to climb his way up. See, that's the difference between all of them. That right there is the difference. They're hungry and they want it. And the second they think they're, they don't want it anymore. Now they want to protect it. This is very normal. I don't begrudge people. I piece that in me myself. And it's just a human element you've got to fight. I just am noticing for you that Cheeto's not doing it. I hope he never does it. I can at least tell you he's not doing it yet. Cheeto Vera versus Jan. I like the idea. Cheeto Vera officially our backup fighter. For sure. I've never met Valentina Shevchenko. I'm certainly an admirer certainly an observer of the greatness, but I've never met her. And in my fantasy, when we, when we meet each other, it starts with a handshake and that conversation ends with a hug. In my fantasy, she thanks me. I hear all the things that you said. You're, you're the only person that had the courage to be critical. While you were being critical, you offered me advice and it turned out you were right every time. Like that's how I see it in my fantasy. Her kicking me right in the nuts is probably a more realistic scenario, but I do see it that way. And I haven't been wrong. Not once. And if you guys saw, there was an announcement last night. And Shevchenko, who's done everything in the world that you can do, and she's done it better than anyone else who's ever done it has never headlined a show. And I've made that observation from day one, but I've also said what could be done to change that. And there is always the misconception that greatness sells, right? The, the greatest player gets the most money. The greatest player gets drafted first. The greatest player gets the sponsorships. The greatest player, right? So you, you start to make some of these very natural and reasonable assertions. But very few who are truly great, who are above, who have separated themselves, have been interesting. Uh, I'll give you a tremendous example, which is Michael Jordan was clearly the greatest basketball player to have done it. And people came out. They came live. They waited in lines, they bought t-shirts, they sat home, they turned on the channel to witness his greatness. If they had a reasonable belief a game was going to be 106 to 50, absolutely nothing to see, absolutely nothing that you're on the, the edge of your seat, and there's, there's nothing here that you didn't know prior to sitting down, they could still do great ratings with Jordan. He had a greatness that people were willing to pay to see as opposed to a competitiveness. And that was very rare and unique. And it's an observation that very few have made.
even though it was right in front of you. And you could go right from Jordan as the world's greatest athlete. Jordan handed the torch. Do you guys know who he handed it to? I'd love to pause here and have you throw some names out. Because I, I don't know if any of you would have had the right one. I don't say that consent. You know who Jordan passed the world, that the, I'm the greatest, I'm heads and shoulders, I'm above everybody. And he passed that baton. Do you know who he passed it to? He passed it to Roy Jones Jr. But they had very different outcomes. The world was willing to pay, and it was monetizable, the greatness of Jordan, the slam dunks, the effort, the tongue hanging out. He was a handsome guy. He had the whole bit, the championships, the bowls. Scotty Pippen and Rodman with him. They were willing to pay. They were willing to power it with not only their money, but with their time to witness this. So a lot of the same people that helped to make and create and profited off of partnering with Jordan did it with Roy Jones Jr. That's why it's not arguable. It's unequivocal. The torch was passed to Roy Jones. I live in Oregon. Nike. The Nike. It's exactly 22 minutes that way. And if you ever go on campus, beautiful compound. They do tours. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to see, but they, they have the Michael Jordan facility, the Michael Jordan area. You know who else has there? Roy Jones Jr. And they thought, for good reason, we just take what we did with Jordan. We just pass that to Roy Jones. Let's get going. We'll do the t-shirts and we'll do the towels. We'll make some mouthpieces. We'll switch it up a little bit. We're going to do everything we did with him. We're going to do it with Roy. And they did. They infused a ton of money. They did not get the same return. Roy fell into a different category. Roy Jones is without question the best boxer of a decade. The 90s. I was in college. He was the best. Iron Mike Tyson was still fighting then. Lennox Lewis was still fighting then. Just for perspective. Klitschko's had already broken on the scene. Roy Jones was the fighter of the 90s. And Tyson, Klitschko, and Lennox Lewis would tell you that too. But he never had the big fight. He never had the big must-see fight. They did all the right promotion. They did all the same promotion. They did all of the countdown shows. They did all of the press conference, all of the media. And Roy was out and about. Roy was willing to do it. Roy had a little bit of a gimmick. He even started rapping at one point. He sang himself to the ring, to, to the ring at one point. Like, Roy was willing to entertain. He's in the ring with the hands down. I mean, he, he was entertaining, though. This was for the crowd. Roy did everything right. But the world has a very hard time giving up their time or their money to witness a sporting event where they are very confident in the outcome. Where there's no water cooler to, hey, man, hey, you looking forward to the fight? Oh, man, he's taking a southpaw, man. He never fought with a southpaw before. This guy is so fast. You know, they met up in the amateurs at the Olympic trials. There was never anything like that with Roy. Never. Zero. And it's really important that you do understand that concept because Valentin Shevchenko, who has done more in this sport than most, and has had more success than I ever dreamed of, was just announced last night she's going to be a main event. What's different? What changed? She got beat. Why does that matter and how does that help? Because for the first time in her career, the audience from a competitive standpoint, does not have a strong reason to believe the outcome. That's the difference.
And it's always one of these things that's missed. It's been missed on every fighter with an ego who's ever been handed a microphone and tells the world how great he is and he's number one and he's the best and he's the best of three generations and nobody can beat him and nobody's ever beat him. La, 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 la. But who made the most money? Because they sold the most was George St. Pierre, who when given a microphone and referring to his opponent told the world he was scared every time. This is the best jujitsu practitioner I've ever taken on. I've enlisted the finest coaches. I'm very hesitant to be on the ground with him. Every single time, George talked up the opponent. George never lost a fight. George wasn't losing. He didn't lose rounds. Tell me a guy that you know that won a round against George. Go ahead. Go ahead. You hardcore 20 anniversary guys are telling me John Hendricks. Tell me another guy. George St. Pierre was fighting at a high level since 2002. I'm asking you to tell me a round that he lost, but he would tell everybody this was his hardest fight, it's the most dangerous, and he'd even give reasons. This position, this technique, I've been susceptible to this my whole life, and it's what he does so well. Oh, God, I'm having nightmares about this guy. Boom, million pay-per-views. And it's just a concept. I don't know that it's one that you can copy. Like, just by example, I don't know that if I'm Valentina's uh, manager and I'm trying to make her money, right? Uh, like, like, by no means do I tell, hey, but, hey we got to lose a fight in here. Nah, I'm, I'm not doing that. Not in the least. I'm just sharing with you. There's ways to handle defeat and, and there's ways to fall forward. You don't have to fall down. You don't have to fall back. You can stumble uphill. But you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to be, be able to manipulate a single thing if you don't just observe some of these concepts. And it's very helpful. And I, I do think you should sit back. And I do think you should ask yourself, my goodness, Chael's right. Wow, wait, what, wait, wait, wait a second. She was champion of the world a dozen times and she never got a main event. She, she, she's no longer champion of the world and she gets a main event. Ha she lost her last fight and she gets to move up the card? What? Yeah. Why? Well, it's more interesting. It's the first one that's interesting. Her greatness was not observed like Jordan's. Very few are. Her greatness was observed like Roy Jones. That's the common. That's the normal one. Deontay Wilder. And I gotta be careful. Guys, I gotta be careful talking about Wilder. I think he started packing a gun because of me. That's heavy stuff. That's actually heavy stuff, but I was told that through the grapevine. I've alluded that to you guys, but I was told that through the grapevine. I called Wilder out. I called him on some stuff. He called her brave, and he called himself. He, he made a very cowardly statement by the estimation of a true badass. But it's to, to my standard. Like, he shouldn't be embarrassed for not meeting this code. It was my code. Everybody is a gangster until a gangster walks in the room. So Deontay's got his thing. I call him out because by my own standard, it wasn't cowardly. I apologize. It wasn't brave. He called a statement of his brave. He was going to, he was going to fight Francis Ngannou. He willing to fight him. As long as he's also willing to box me. I mean, okay, well, you just lost me. Then you, you don't get credit for being brave. If you get the fight, you get credit. You're going to make some money. You, you do get credit for that. You don't get, that's not in the brave category. And I called him out. It was a big deal, man. Nobody's ever spoke to Wilder like that, right? I remember when I did this to Mike Tyson. I remember when I did it to Anderson Silva. These guys, they didn't know. Well, they didn't know to look up or to wind their watch. They were so confused. This had never happened. 
and Deontay gets gets hit on a gun violation. Serious stuff, but he's, he's packing a gun around. And I was told about this through people. And I said, man, I'm not, I'm not coming for Deontay. If I run into Deontay and he runs his, I'm not going to go whip Deontay. Like, it might have had nothing to do with me. By the way, I'm telling you what I was told. And so it's very bothersome to me. So, so I'm paying attention to Wilder, who, by the way, the last time he does media that I saw was on the PFL. And he was awesome. He popped. Oh, he looked great. Oh, he looked great. He and Francis both get credit. They're built the way I've spent my whole life trying to look. He had this white shirt on, kind of like I'm wearing now, but it was a button-up, and he was in the middle, and he was popping. He was popping. When you saw him, he was popping. I mean, you had Sean O'Connor, who's amongst the best announcers in the sport, a million-dollar winner in our sport. Nobody can make that claim. You got the natural. You got Ken Flo, my partner there. I'm telling you what, Deontay he was popping. I say it to let you know that I feel like I tell the story accurately. I mean, I feel like I'll, I give credit where credit is due. Whether he thinks he's got to pack a piece for me or not. By the way, Snubnose 38, is that what he thinks of me? He must be planning to use four or five rounds. Snubnose 38. You didn't get yourself a 45? Anyway, okay, but let's move on from that. He came out and he said, Francis knows the deal. He was talking with the Schmo. Schmo's been doing a great job of getting interviews. Schmo has access in front of everything else. If you like his presentation or not, Schmo and Helen are respected within our industry because those two have access. I have been backstage before. There's no one back. There's the Schmo and Helen. People like him. And I'll tell you what. He was talking to him. Deontay talking to Schmo. And he said, Francis knows the deal. Talking about, you know, Schmo's trying to get this. Man, is this a thing? Is this not a thing? You've talked about it. He's talked about it. That was only after the Tyson thing got talked about. Looked like he got kicked because Tyson was going to take on someone else. Never heard about this. This Middle East of it. We don't know anything, right? It's typical boxing. You don't know anything. And Deontay comes out and says, he knows the deal. And that's very interesting. Like, I feel as though that's a big word. I feel like that's a very big word for Deontay. So he knows the deal. And I, I get if you can do the deal. I get, that, I get that it's a syllable, but it's still a very big word for him. And then he doesn't know what a deal is. Deontay doesn't know what it takes to have a deal. You go there, smash him. This is what he knows. He doesn't know what a deal is. He doesn't know about an arrangement or an agreement or a negotiation or a back and forth or a hustle. I mean, with an executive. You know, he doesn't know where you got to have dates and a contract, and it's got to be a two-way street. It can't just be for you. It's got. But he doesn't know anything about a deal. What is he using the word deal for? Francis knows the deal. Deontay, let me assure you, he doesn't. You don't know what a deal is. Okay, you're the author of the statement, and you don't know what a deal is. You think I'm picking on you right now? But you also know I'm right. You could barely spell the word deal. Trust me when I tell you, Francis isn't in any of this spot different. That's a four-letter word, and man, that's a lot of digits to write down. He knows the deal. What's the deal? Why don't you tell us what the deal is? Why do we have to know that Francis knows the deal? We're asking you. Francis is in here. We're asking you. Are you going to fight him or not? You said you're going to fight him. Are you going to fight him or not? There ain't anything that gets in the way, just so you, the audience, knows. There ain't anything getting in the way of two guys that want to fight except for themselves. And I do mean there is nothing. Why wow, money comes in? Well, no, no. They brought. That. They didn't say that. They didn't say I want to make a bunch of money. They didn't say it's got to be eight rounds. They didn't say it has to be this day. They didn't say any of those things. They said they want to fight. There's nothing that will stop two licensed fighters from fighting, and nothing, well, except for themselves. So what do you mean you know the deal? Because I'll play that game. 
If I can take you at your word and you're telling me this guy knows the deal, I'll take you and I'll play that. But I'm going to go ask him and whatever he tells me is what it is. So if he tells me you're fighting in October, you're fighting in October. If he tells me winner take all, it's winner take all. If he tells me the agreed upon weight is heavy, if he tells me the rules are unified, if he tells me the venue is Barclays, whatever he tells you're saying that he knows that I don't need you anymore. I can go to him. Is that right? Because if it's not right, this is your chance. Do you want to fight him or not? Ask the question, what is Conor McGregor doing? What's Conor McGregor after? And the question was even fed what I believe to be a guess of an answer to me. Is he just trying to get headlines? Is he trying to promote other brands while he can be other? That's not a rotten guess. I mean, that, that, that everybody's going to have to start at that point. The juxtaposition you would make is those headlines, is those brands, those things that you're talking about as he sits in a reality, right? Reality meaning that it's true. So you're doing a competition. It's a sports show about competition. He's now down 5-0. The math on that can't change much more, or it's a lock, and he can't come back and win. i just share for you. So why, why are we finishing it? I mean, there's a mercy rule that starts all the way at seven-year-old T-ball here in Oregon. It's called the mercy rule. If you get ahead by enough point, we are going to stop it. If it is not reasonable that the other side can come back, we're going to stop it. We have the same thing in wrestling. Do it 10 points international style. We do it 15 points in the high schools and the colleges. If mathematically it's not realistic for the other guy to come back, let's let's go home. And it's just an interesting spot. So, but, but before you think that Connor is out there and that's what he's doing, he's getting these brands. There's no plan to fight Chandler. He's got an injury. He's got the side. He's got the road. He's got, I mean, Connor's got a lot of interest, right? He's got the new pub. He's the whiskey. But before you do that, you would have to ask yourself, did any of those brands get served? Or moreover, were any of those bands reasonable to be served? Did anything that Connor did because of his agreements and participation in this, and moreover, was it reasonable to assume anything that Connor does would be elevated? I don't think so. I don't think so. Media is always better than no media. I, I do understand that concept, but Conor McGregor is a machine. I mean, not not for nothing. How many eyeballs are you going to get? Where? How many are you going to get? You'll have an answer. I mean, there'll be there'll be an actual dedicated answer. But he could grab his phone and go to Twitter. How many is he going to get? Do you think that is it a different answer? Is it a lopsided answer? I mean, it's one of these things. It, it, if he went and did this for the experience, he's a very sharp guy. Conor's very strategic. He's got very good advice around him through Audi. And I only share that with you because if you think this is a ruse to get over and build itself up, we do see a lot of those. I could give you a lot of examples. I just, I don't believe that it would have worked. I don't believe that it has worked, but that isn't the point, right? The point is, could you reasonably assume it would work, right? You thought it was and then it ends up failing. I, I know I don't think so. So the information that you would have, right? You're the great, you're the great puppet master. You're going to come in and you're going to participate in an event that's very serious to you. It's very serious to the industry. It's very serious to those next generation with a dream. Very, very important vehicle. But you know at the end of it, you're going to chicken out? I mean, you know when this whole thing is said and done, I'm not going to do what I said I'm going to do. But the whole world won't care. They won't forget. They'll already be in my pub eating the fries. 
Philip already ordered the proper whiskey there. I don't think so. I don't think that's what happened. I think Connor's been surprised here. I think when you ask the question, what's Connor McGregor going to do? I think he's, I don't know that he has a clear answer. I think he's sincere. I think he's sincere. And I'll tell you this before you, before you think I'm, I'm a mark or I'm falling for a gimmick. I'm the one that's always been right on Connor. I'm the one that shared with you what he's actually doing, what the actual move is. I've always been right. And I will admit, this is a guess. But I would guess, educated, so we'll call it a hypothesis, particularly understanding having been in a very similar position, I think he's sincere. I think he wants to fight. I think he plans to fight. I think he wants to fight Chandler. I think he plans to fight Chandler. I don't know if he's going to fight. I don't know if he's going to fight Chandler. But both of those things can be true at the same time. I think there's been some outside obstacles. I don't know that you'd have to you'd have to hire Perry Mason to find out why we didn't enter the pool, right? And that's okay. I don't I don't know that you have any weird. I don't think I don't know. That there's a story there to that. It, it just seems though that if we do acknowledge what's happening there, now we've got a scientific problem. We don't know, and that happens. That happens. Uh, picogram's a very real thing, right? You're not allowed to do steroids. John Jones tested positive for steroids and he's allowed to fight. That's not a riddle. I, I didn't say it to confuse you guys. That's 100% reality. Would you like to get a little further into it? Would you like to get into the science? Okay, great. Every now and then you got fat cells. If you shot something into your muscle or you shot it into your fat, you get a very different result. And those cells, something can get trapped. And it could be as small as a grain of salt in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's what a picogram is. You could have a substance that's supposed to be out of your system in four months. And it's been four and a half years, but it's still in there. It's not in anybody else's. It's just in my brain. I mean, there's just things that happen I'm sharing for you. You want to make sure, right? You got to make sure that's... You got. You have to make sure of this. And th th there's so much more to that USADA rule. Oh, golly, I hope this fight happens. I hope this fight happens. I want it so bad. I want so bad Connor versus USADA. But for a variety of different reasons. Like here, let me just give you guys an example. It is required, okay? And on your first day of law school, at every course in the country, you will be taught about what's known as clean hands. You must, 101, I mean, this is very simple stuff, but it will carry over, we'll go all to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court made a ruling yesterday about standing, for goodness sakes. Somebody didn't have standing and got all the way to the Supreme Court. Amateur hour, right? But the same thing goes with clean hands. You gotta have clean hands when you come. So if Conor McGregor has avoided USADA because he has a substance in his system, it's a fail. If Conor McGregor didn't want to fail that, but wanted to be honest, he would have to reveal the substance that he had in his system, of which time they would fail him. Even if he didn't test positive for it, even if he wasn't in the pool, if he says, I took D-ball right here, and he puts that on a form, and he fills it, and he has to fill this format accurate, or it's perjured, but he does it accurate, he tells the truth, they'll find him in violation. That's not right, is it? Yeah, well, that's, that's the way to work. I'm just sharing with you. Now, Nobody, not USADA and not an athletic commission. I mean, these athletic commissions, it, it's been the, maybe my biggest surprise. 
Perhaps my biggest surprise with athletic commissions is when a fighter lies to them and then brags about it to you. When a fighter goes out and they swear under penalty of perjury that they are not hiding any injury. And then they lose and then they go on Sports Center and they tell the world, oh, my knee was bad. I had to get through everything. Oh, I could barely walk. I heard it eight months. I'm such a tough guy. I went and did this anyway. And we, I mean, man, guys, we see this all the time. They're in a full, they're not two months that go by where we don't see somebody do that. But you've never heard of them ever coming back. So you're allowed to lie to them. If, how the insurance work, possibly fraud happen. You just move on. Like it just, it just didn't happen. And I only share that with you. That would be another interesting part of this when, when Usada gets in there with Connor. He's not injured because there's something in his system. Okay, great. But there's also going to be a time where you have to disclose that. Now, if you don't disclose it because the burden's on them and they can't prove it, you could go ahead and commit perjury and everybody could know it and nobody will do anything about it. It's a very interesting spot. It's a very interesting spot. This is a fight that I really want to happen. But when people do ask me, what is Connor up to? Is he just out there? Is he just trying to get attention? I, I know that that would be a reasonable guess, but it would seem like a guess made by a simpleton. And if that is what you think, did it work? Can you tell me what attention through the process of the Ultimate Fighter Connor tried to get? Can you show me an isolated time that Connor used that vehicle? To build and promote or garner, could you show me that? So if you ask me if that why I did it, I'll play along, and I just did for exactly nine minutes. But I'd like you to now too. Feel like I might go simple though. Did it work? Dry snitch is, have you heard that term? Dry snitch is a lingo on the streets. And you know what a rat is. A rat is somebody that gets in a jam, but if they have information on somebody that's bigger, you can take the cheese, you can give that information up, you can get yourself out. Okay. But a dry snitch is where you're not in a jam, there's nothing on the table, and you just offer a guy up. <laughs> you just offered him up. And I got to tell you, so a couple of months ago, I did Andrew uh, Schultz's show. And the topic of LeBron James have come up. LeBron James and, and EPO. And there was a bit of a misconception there that I was giving LeBron a hard time. I was not. I had my days with LeBron. I feel as though I've I've told them to you, but he won me over. It was all cool in the gang. I, I shared a story with you guys when I was having my whatever that was, whatever whatever that was. He was coming to the event. Where did LeBron? LeBron hurt my feelings somewhere along the way. He was coming to the events, and then he was sidling up with Anderson Silva. Like it was something as simple as that to get into my crosshair. So just to share with you, like you know. Wasn't overly bad. And then I shared a story with you guys. I had a friend, a girl. Her name is Paige. And she was locked out of her room at the Mandalay Bay. It was a crazy time in the morning. It was 3 a.m. or something like this. And she's sitting on this, this, there's a bench down there. She's sitting, she doesn't have her ID. She's got a room upstairs, but she doesn't have her license to go to the desk and get the key. And she's sitting there completely dejected. I mean, she's just, this is where she's going to have to stay. And he sees her and he comes up 
And he says, hey, is there something wrong? He can read it on her face. And she told him what happened. I can't get into my room. I don't have an ID. And he said, come on. And he took her up. And he said, I need to get this girl a key. Told her the room number. And they said, no, we don't have an ID. Threw down $500. He said, I need to get her a key. And they say, hey, that's just, that's, that's not how it works. You know, we can't do that. He threw down $500, said, I need to get her a key. He kept playing this game until he was broke. She, she actually ends up not getting the key, by the way. That's how the story, but he emptied his pocket trying to get a total stranger who happened to be my friend a key. So we're cool, right? It's all whatever. He hugged Anderson and I got my little feelings or whatever, but, but we're all done. And years later, I'm on Andrew Schultz. I'm like, man, this guy, you know, he's taking EPO. We got the same dealer. And, I'm speaking to a positivity of medicines that are out there. It, it, it was a very different point. And I'm here in Oregon. They got a channel called 970. It's an AM channel. I want to say it's called The Fan. 970 The Fan rings a bell. But you get these two guys that come on there, and they're syndicated, and they do a very good job, and they were speaking about this. And they're saying, well, you know, how could you trust that guy? And blah, blah, blah. Uh, you, you're going to have to deal with those things, but... They were still missing the point. This wasn't to out somebody or or act like his his good deeds or his good career or his scores or his titles were somehow illegitimate. It, it wasn't like that. But you will have certain sports where it's a level playing field of cheating. It's a level playing field of cheating. And the expression everybody's doing, that's not true and that's a cop-out. But there are times on a broad stroke, it's more accurate the non-accurate of a statement. We have a lot of sports to this day who have never discovered as an industry chemical enhancement. And if I was to, to look at the guys in the NBA that are on the gear, I'm not gonna need all my fingers. In the entire league, I'm not gonna need all of my fingers. And so, so when you have a guy that's on the cocktail Test, growth, EPO, ultimate cocktail that's created. These three. When you have a guy that's on that, I am speaking to the power of the medicine. The Rock has always been very nice to me. I don't, I don't like to come out and disparage The Rock. He's always been a very sweet guy. It bothers me that he won't tell people what he's doing, right? If you're going to put your picture out and you're going to put your look, don't talk about it. it's because, you know, I eat pancakes on Sundays only and I do these things because somebody's going to go and do that. I have, I'm one of those guys. I grew up under Hulk Hogan. I'm also not mad at Hulk. He's also very sweet to me. But I did grow up under Hulk Hogan, and I did do all sorts of curls, and I did do all sorts of push-ups, and I did these all the time trying to look like him. And before you know it, this all-the-time business I'm speaking of was 15 years. 15 years of gym memberships and in the weight room. But he hadn't told me the rest of it. And... I only bring that to you because, you know, steroid is such a derogatory term, but, but, but anabolics are perfectly good medicine. You'll see this on TV all the time. Hey, man, if you're over 40, call 1-800-TESTOSTERONE. Like, it's one of these things. I'm not talking about doing something illegally. It just sounds that way, right? You, you have good medicines that athletes used to cheat and gave it a very bad name. And I'm trying to go to the other side with it, the side that Schwarzenegger went to, the side that Sylvester Stallone went to, the side that Suzanne Summers went to, which is to go out, look great, feel great, and then tell people the truth about what you did. 
And, and there's a number of reasons. You're not going to come out and say, I, I took EPO, but I'm trying to speak to you about this. this is a fascinating medicine, right? I mean, this was my whole beef with Lance Armstrong. I'm the first one that said that Lance was cheating. Lance considered suing me. I went on the Jim Rome show. Do you guys know about this? I went on the Jim Rome show and I told you, see, you couldn't say Lance Armstrong at the Olympic Training Center. I'm walking all over time at the coffee shop and I'm seeing these yellow bracelets that were these Lance Armstrong, live strong, and it was all, all of these things. And people were so proud of it. I mean, they, really, it was this thing. I'm looking around going, yeah, but, but athletes, you can't even say his name. Lance Armstrong was a four-letter word at the Olympic Training Center in the 90s. That's how much athletes know. I mean, he, didn't get, he didn't get cracked and go sit on Oprah's couch until, what was it, guy, 2011? In the 90s, athletes knew. You wouldn't see one of those at the Olympic Training Center. None. Because they knew that he was cheating. And the problem for me, I'm personalizing, it wasn't the use of the medicine. It was the fact that you would discover, somebody grabbed you. You're not a chemist. You're not a doctor. You didn't go into a lab. You didn't work on this. Somebody grabbed you. Somebody that had knowledge. Somebody who did do those things grabbed you, and they let you in on something fascinating. They let you in on something that was legal that could make you better at your job. EPO, by the way, guys, is legal. Now, it's a controlled substance. You must prescription. It's against sport rule. Like, don't think you need to share these things with me. I'm just sharing for you. This is not like having a class C substance. This is not like being in the possession of cocaine, by example. So that's always where, where my aggravation comes, right? When you have somebody that discovers something, I mean, Sylvester Stallone goes on the Letterman show. When I was a sophomore in high school and Suzanne Summers wrote a book that was separated by like three months and they both told the truth. Sylvester Stallone said, hey, there's something out there called human growth hormone. In other countries, it sits on the shelves. I several times have driven across the border into Mexico. I just walked in the pharmacy and grabbed it. Here in America, you can't get it come hook or crook, and that will be different. In 30 years, when people finally realize to what I've already realized, you will be able to get it. This was just a claim he made. I mean, I'm just going back all this time, and I remember him saying it. It was a very honorable thing that Stallone did, and he wants to go out and put out pictures and videos and show himself lifting weights. That's very honorable, because he's telling us what he's doing. And if that inspires you or something you'd like to do, you can now follow his recipe and have a reasonable expectation that you get somewhere to those same gains. I think there's an honor in that. And when I brought up to Andrew Schultz about the EPO and LeBron James, I, I, I just bring that to you. I, I'm not putting down LeBron. There's 10 guys that do it. Like, that has separated itself. I mean, I only know one golfer that's on the diet. And I'm talking about the big three. I'm talking about booster test, IGF-1, which means growth hormone, EPO. I only know one golfer. Of all of golf, I only know ever in the history of golf, all the way back to, remember that Lee Trevino, the great? I only know one golfer, but they call him Tiger, because this stuff works. And it also is legal. The three that I just said are legal. It's the John Cena approach. Tell people I've never taken a thing. Well, he says that because he's never taken anything illegal. He just happens to know a secret that so many others don't, which is you can get prescribed these medications. And I was just speaking to the power of the medication. I'll, I'll leave you with one final thought. My Uncle Mel, best athlete in our family, world champion, world champion, Olympic champion, and he might have another world championship, by the way, 64, Tokyo, 
United States Olympic gold medal, 65 Boston Celtics world champion, and he won another one. I know he won another one, but I think he might have even, I think he might even be a three-time world champion and Olympic champion. And my Uncle Mel doesn't talk about his career a lot. It was a Christmas, many Christmases ago, that he was hosting his house. I said, man, can I see that gold medal? Never seen an Olympic gold medal in my life. And he said, yeah. And he went upstairs, and I mean, it was like 40 minutes until he came down. He couldn't find it. And when he did come down, it was in a box. And the box was like blue, and it was felt. You know those boxes that are felt, and then you open it up, the beautiful metal's there. It was covered in lint. It was It was filthy. It was in the back on the bottom in his closet. But a lot of greats are like, they, well, they don't even know where the medal I, Like I can't imagine that. My nephew would never have to ask me to see my gold medal. I'd find a way to, oh, God, hey, did I drop that? Oh, what's that? Oh, that's my Olympic gold medal. You know, I like, I would find a way. My Uncle Mel's only told me one thing about his sport, and it was a regret. Sport of basketball. It was a regret. And he said if he could do it again, he would have lifted more weights. And I didn't understand that. And I bring it to you because I don't think that you guys would understand. Why would you need to lift weights? Why, why, why would you have to lift weights in basketball? Why? And I asked him that. What do you, what do you, what do you need weights for? Was the balls heavy? You can't, what, what are you talking about? Lift weights. And he said, no. He said, there's a confidence needed. And that confidence is directly tied to your physicality and your physical abilities for rebounding. He said, you will not get in there and you will not go up and you will not exchange elbows and bumps. You will not do the same thing that you would do if, if you try. I just thought it was interesting. I just, I just bring it to you because there was no dry snitch. There was a very open conversation. The one Lance Armstrong should have had. The one Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Suzanne Summers did have the courage to have. The one The Rock and John Cena and Hulk Hogan should all have which is the truth and the benefits they discovered to a legal substance. That's my opinion. But I think that you guys will side with me. All right, guys, that's it. Hope you've got some sunshine, possibly a parade. Hope you got a barbecue. Possibly some fireworks. Have a great time. Be safe. Be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.